We recorded this episode as a part of a podcast series on the occasion of COP27. Each episode illustrates the breadth and depth of Marshall McLennan's climate capabilities. The issues addressed throughout the series include investment transition, the insurance sector's role in climate adaptation, communities and businesses' exposure to physical risks, and how companies need to address the inextricable link between climate and nature. Find more information about how Mercer, Marsh and other Marsh McLennan businesses will be addressing these issues at COP27 and beyond in the podcast description. Hello and welcome to this Marsh McLennan podcast. My name is Francis Bouchard. I'm going to be leading a discussion today about uh, some pretty interesting and serious issues that are going to be discussed at the upcoming COP27 meeting. This is part of a broader series of Marsh McLennan podcasts addressing different issues Uh, that will be discussed as part of COP27. And today we're gonna be focusing on the insurance sector and its role in in helping de-risk or prepare uh, the world and society and communities for climate change. And the reality is that the insurance industry has a a long history of sending risk signals and and helping de-risk society and everyday economic activity, whether it's through premium discounts for seatbelts or sprinklers in factories, or even on a broader level, standard setting for electrical appliances or automobile safety, the industry's ability to to understand risk, to price risk and help manage risk has been an immense uh, societal and economic benefit and it's protected countless lives, businesses and communities. What we're seeing though with climate change is it's it's changing a little bit, meaning the, the level of the risk is moving from the individual policyholder where I could take action with my house or my business to protect myself from climate. It's really moving into more of a a system level or an ecosystem level exposure. And that's creating uh, new challenges and opportunities for insurance companies and the insurance sector to help deploy those traditional risk signaling and risk um, uh, behavioral type of of, um, role that they play and the the incentives that they send uh, to their policyholders. So recognize that the insurance industry has become quite a loud voice on something called the protection gap this is where we look at the exposure that exists in a community or a region or a nation and the, the actual amount of that risk that is financed or, or protected and the people are protected against that. And that number keeps getting bigger. Uh, so we're looking at uh, a lot of different ways for the insurance sector to really start to, to play a different role, a broader role, really at the system level to help reduce and mitigate that exposure. A lot of companies, as well as a lot of NGOs and development banks and governments have actually started to to work in a very collaborative fashion to look at how can we collectively leverage some of the tools that the insurance sector brings to enhance societal resilience, to to help businesses, to help governments, to help individuals and communities protect themselves better from what is clearly a growing trend of climate losses. And as we tape this podcast, uh, Hurricane Ian is just left uh, the Carolinas and it's left a a trail of destruction in Florida before it. So it's only becoming more and more real. So this podcast will look at, we'll take it, we'll take an overview of the industry's role in advancing climate resilience with particular focus on the role it can play to de-risk, fund and incentivize pre-event ex-ante type of risk reduction and climate adaptation measures. We're also going to try to feature an exciting new initiative that uh, we expect to be pursued and launched at the COP27 by the UN Race to Resilience to accelerate and scale these type of activities. So leading to this uh, part of this discussion, I'm joined by two um, experts in the field, 
uh, but better yet, two people that I consider friends and colleagues in many, many ways. So joining me from Marsh McLennan is my colleague, Svenja Serminski, who's a managing director for climate uh, in the insights division uh, and a widely read author and, and a commentator on these topics for many years. We've worked together before in many different ways, um, as, as well as uh, Jorge Gustamunde, who's a longtime Peruvian uh, climate negotiator, who these days is working with the uh, Arsh Rock Resilience Center, as well as with uh, the UN Race to Resilience and uh, their activities as well. So we've got some experts who not only have deep uh, content uh, knowledge, but I can assure you are passionate about this topic and are also passionate about making an impact. So let's start with the discussion. Thank you, Svenja. Thank you, Jorge, for joining us. And let me let me start by maybe asking a, a question about scene setting, meaning definitions in, way, in a way, resilience and climate resilience can mean so many things to so many people. There are three of us on this call. There's probably five opinions about what that means. Svenja, maybe you've written a lot about this topic. Can you quickly differentiate between resilience generally and perhaps what adaptation means and even more specifically risk reduction? Yeah, thanks, Francis. And, and hi, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I mean, I think we can spend a lot of time. Everybody has a very different understanding of what resilience is. But I think it's it's important to, to reflect on this in the climate context. So resilience usually means our ability to cope with shocks, to, to be able, you know, to, to bounce back from shocks and to carry on, you know, either with our, you know, business lives, with, with individuals carrying on their, their daily lives. Um, regardless of, of a shock. And when we're talking climate change, it's usually in the context of climate risk, like an extreme event, or also what we call the slow um, onset changes that we see, um, you know, sort of um, sea level rise and, and um, increasing drought periods and so on. So, you know, it's our ability to not be thrown back by that and not to be interrupted. The important thing is with climate change, and this is where the adaptation aspect comes in, and that's the terminology that we use, for example, at the UN when we talk about addressing climate risk. So we need to adapt to climate change. So we need to prepare for the changes that are already in the system and that we're likely to see um, with the temperature increase that our emissions are, are causing. So it's really sort of a question of changing, you know, where we live, how we live, um, what we build, where we locate things with a view, not just in terms of current risk, but how's, how's that risk spectrum going to look tomorrow, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you name it. So that's kind of adaptation. It's really about preparing and, and changing our ways of life in response to climate. So, so that's the system level. Adaptation is more at a system level. Is risk reduction also at a system level, or is that still policyholder by policyholder by policyholder? Well, I mean, what, what I described there, yeah, it's a system view, but it depends on an individual action. So, you know, we, we can all adapt. Governments can adapt. Um, you know, there are lots of things that we can do individually. And I think this is where the role of the insurance sector also comes in. I mean, this notion of society's risk manager. I mean, I've been working in this space for a long time and I, I really like this concept of, you know, in, insurers um, understand risk. They, they have a lot of information and they can use this to transfer risk, but also to help 
society to better understand and reduce risk. And I think this is so important in the climate context. Yeah, there are a lot of examples of them doing that as well, and other, and we'll get to that here. Jorge, um, it's also a bit of an alphabet soup, or you know, a complicated ecosystem of groups addressing the resilience topic out there. Can you talk a little bit about the what the UN Race to Resilience is, and who it works with, and what its objectives might be? Sure. So the Race to Resilience is um, it's an effort that has been spearheaded by the UN High Level Climate Champions. For climate action, this is a this is a, a mechanism that was created by the Paris Agreement, recognizing that the solutions to climate change would not only uh, fall on central national governments, but also on civil society uh, organizations, on the private sector, on subnational governments, including cities. And so, this uh, mechanism of the champions mobilizes, aims to mobilize all these actors that are not the governments that are sitting around the table negotiating the global agreements, but rather doing action on the ground. And the insurance sector will certainly be is part of that. So the as part of that effort, they uh, they launched a couple of years ago what they call the race to resilience, which is uh, an effort to increase resilience of 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 uh, vulnerable groups and communities around the world by 2030 and demonstrate that they are impacting, the actions from these actors are impacting the lives of 4 billion people. And that means that uh, you need to start measuring how each of the actions that you're doing actually will uh, connect to a human being, to a personal story, to a, that, uh, that indicates how that person is becoming, that person, that community, that society, is that city is becoming more resistant to climate change. Um, and so the private sector plays a role on that, both in terms of building that resilience as fellow citizens, but also building their own resilience to climate change, both in terms of the infrastructure they have in a particular location, but also in terms of you know the, the supply chains that they use to allow for, for their products and their services to continue being provided. So uh, what the champions are trying to do with this campaign and that hopefully will lead to a follow-up conversation uh, in this podcast on, on insurance, is to uh, bring all the community that is working around the space of climate adaptation and climate resilience to a common narrative and a common language in terms of how they measure impact that will hopefully provide clarity for investments, both public and private, to come in. So you, you, can, you, can, you can invest on what you can measure, uh, and that will hopefully create a bit more of credibility on the investments that are happening on on on, on, a, on adaptation and resilience. Yeah, actors, go ahead. I'm sorry. Actors are critical for this. Are uh, in this campaign and our partners to the to the race resilience campaign are insurance resilience uh, global uh, partnership and also the insurance development forum. Yeah, if four four billion people is quite a target. And you're absolutely right. You know, if you're not gonna you're not going to measure what you're doing to get to that target. There's no way you're going to get to that target. Uh, and you also mentioned, you know, the German government backed Insure Resilience Global Partnership and the insurance backed uh, Insurance Development Forum. Those are great organizations. Fenya, I know that you work with many others who are also doing similar work, but let's let's start to look at, you know, the how issue. Maybe that was a bit of the why. What about the how? What, what exactly can the insurance sector bring to these type of challenges that are out there. And Svenja, you've written a lot about this. Can you 
Can you talk a little bit about the, the unique, unique capabilities that the sector has and how those are relevant to overcoming these challenges? Yeah, I mean, let, let's start with, you know, what, what is the issue and, and why do we have what we call an adaptation gap? Because that's really what, what the race to resilience is also about. We need to get better, you know, to spend more money, to invest better on, on adaptation. And I just want to share one, one number, and I think that sort of, for me, speaks speaks volumes, and it's made mostly also my motivation to, to work in this space. So globally, we spend around um, 88% of funds on disasters. We spend them for response, repair, or reconstruction after an event. And only 12% of funds are put into risk reduction and prevention. So a huge imbalance, you know, we, we react to an event and, you know, we, we have good mechanisms and insurance is one that helps us to repair, to, to recover. But that imbalance today is, is not economically efficient. And it's also, it, it doesn't make sense, particularly with a view to climate change, because we're basically, you know, throwing a lot of money at a problem that we can also significantly reduce and prevent. And that's, in a way, this whole effort around adaptation and gearing up action now is really to address this, this um, imbalance. And I think the, the insurance sector, you know, has, has several sort of tools, um, if you like, to, to bring to the table. And the first thing is this massive risk understanding. And I mean, also here at Marsh McLennan, I mean, we have amazing tools. We've just published a flood risk um, index that allows you to play around with, with, with risks. And that's a, usually a very good starting point to also demonstrate, you know, how does the risk play out? What are the different drivers? But then I think there, there's also a massive amount of, of experience when it comes to, you know, what can we actually do to be prepared and to reduce risk. And I think in your introduction, Francis, you mentioned, you know, some examples like, you know, seat belts, or if you look at fire risk, you know, there's a whole history. I think insurers sort of came up with the idea of fire services. <laughs> so, you know, it's this mindset of prevention that is so closely aligned to the idea of adaptation. And I, I think there are some promising examples, but we haven't really brought it up to the scale that's required. And I think this is what this initiative is, is all about. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's great articulation um, of kind of moving earlier in that value chain of risk identification and reduction before simply risk finance. Jorge, as part of this uh, project that we've been working on together, we've identified a, a number of of applications of the insurance industry capabilities, whether those are risk financing or risk analytics or impact investing or strategic philanthropy or even stakeholder engagement. I wonder if through that process, you've seen examples that uh, you find to be particularly compelling. I guess, I guess we found some that are, you know, I would say a hybrid between the, 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 the usual uh, business model of insurance companies on risk capacity with uh, with ex ante and preparedness efforts. It's uh, a parametric insurance. Uh, we've uh, we've been discussing one and discovering a couple of those. One in particular that I would like to mention is uh, uh, one that has been uh, developed by the Cali by the by the insurance commissioner of of California, which are looking into 
how to create a community parametric insurance that will allow communities to uh, to access funding in advance of heat waves in California uh, to invest on you know a certain level of equipment, being that ACs or uh, or paying for energy bills uh, in advance, or you know having that money for that, uh, or you know looking into other kind of uh, uh, actions that could be done as a, at a community level, including you know networks that could be activated to support. The elder, elderly or or, 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 or or children that will be most affected by heat waves down the road. And uh, and looking at the community as a recipient of that uh, preparedness uh, funding. And uh, that is that is a that is a quite interesting uh, evolution of insurance because insurance usually is seen as uh, individually uh, 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 targeted. Uh, but if you can build a community and a sense of community around it for particular climate hazards such as heat waves or extreme heat and provide resources to that, plus at the same time looking for uh, subsidizing premiums that would allow for these communities to access those, those financial resources in advance for a lower payment than usual and looking for ways in which other uh, financial sources could actually compensate or balance that, that premium. Those are ways in which you are using a usual uh, 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 capability of the insurance sector and move resources with, a, with the support of other actors to ex-ante preparedness and allow for people and communities to actually prepare for that. So that's one of the, that, one of the, that is one of the demonstration projects that we're exploring in addition to several others that I, I hope that could, could raise uh, awareness of the value of insurance companies uh, that could be brought into adaptation efforts. It's that's a it's a great example, Jorge. Svenja, you work with so many groups out there. Do you have a favorite example or or something that you think really kind of crystallizes what we're talking about here? Yes, I mean there there are good examples, and I think particularly in in developing countries where basically we're starting from scratch because you know there's no experience with with insurance, and so we have a chance to also design the tools. And I think this is a really important point when we talk about insurance. You know, not every solution does fit every risk. So it really needs to be needs based. And I like the initiatives um, that start with an assessment. You know, what, what are actually, you know, the needs? What, what are the, you know, what are the issues on the ground? And, you know, often something that works in one community does not necessarily work in another community. So these these solutions, and that's often in the agriculture context where, you know, there, there are some insurance schemes where you actually incentivize farmers, um, you know, to work together, to have irrigation systems. And, you know, there are sort of mechanisms that integrate this idea, you know, you're not just getting a payout, but you're actually working to make, you know, to make agriculture more resilient. And th there are some examples, but I think the key point here is, um, we need to be very clear about how we want to use an insurance. And I've been working a lot also with, with corporates and, you know, how, who use insurance obviously on a daily basis to address their risk. And I think, you know, there, there's a lot of scope to then also engage, you know, with the insurer, with the broker and sit down and say, look, we, we understand what's driving risks. 
we understand that climate change is making things worse. You know, we 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 just can't afford to be surprised by it because we have that knowledge. So, so what are the options? What can we do, and and how can we make supply chains more resilient? How can we address this together? And you know, I often say, look, in the future is you know, insurers not necessarily just selling risk transfer, but selling you know resilience and and climate adaptation. I mean, that's kind of my vision, and I think. Um, you know, it's 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 useful to remember that this applies both to to corporates, you know, to to residents in in you know OECD countries, but also potentially to to people who are basically just starting with experiencing insurance um, in developing countries. Look, I think it's been a it's been a great conversation, and there are a few things I pick out of this in particular. I mean, right at the end there, Svenja, you mentioned a vision. It sounds like a shared vision. You know, if I if I take that vision of moving that 88 percent being spent on post event relief. To 75, 70, 60, 65, I mean, that's how back to Jorge's uh, race to resilience, four billion people with better and more enhanced lives. You know, That's how it's going to happen. Right. So there seems to be a lot of alignment between the growing hopes and expectations of the public sector, which really Jorge helps represent. And it's really aligning with uh, the growing uh, capabilities and commitment of the private sector, which Svenja, I think you've you've identified well. So, you know, I guess my primary takeaway from this is we seem to be aligning around the need to do more uh, on on the ex ante pre event risk reduction and adaptation, and that there are a lot of initiatives out there where the insurance industry and others in the real economy are stepping up to do exactly that. So, uh, Svenja, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think there is a momentum and this initiative is is useful. But honestly, you know, it it, it can't come any sooner. I mean, it, it really is 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 high time. And I think in the past, there have been too many cases where I think also insurance has been, you know, sort of seen as almost creating a false sense of security. And I think, you know, this is something that that you know the industry and also brokers are now actually communicating. Um, you know the the risks are changing, and insurance solutions. You know don't take it for granted. I mean we we see this now happening. Obviously the market also reacts to changes um, in risk, and it's also a question of keeping things you know affordable and keeping cover available. So in a way, this whole issue around resilience and adaptation is is a way is a is a tool to ensure that insurance cover will be there in the future and make it, you know, sustainable. So I think that's a really important point. And we are not there yet. I mean, it's it's starting and it's really great to have this initiative, but, you know, we're the, a lot of work needs to be done. Well, I think that's the perfect way to end this because let's get back to work. Uh, so I want to thank uh, Jorge Gustamundi as well as Svenja Serminski for joining us on this podcast. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions.